Greetings, Pulse Takers, and welcome to part three of my three-part interview with NASPO's Chief Learning Officer, Diane Lancaster. We're finishing up our conversation from part two, so if you haven't, stop, go back, and listen to part one and part two, that's episodes 16 and 17, before you reach the conclusion, it is worth it, let me tell you. Diane tells us how she got into public service, some of the history of the public procurement profession, her roles and responsibilities at NASPO, and we finish our conversation on the importance of public procurement in higher education. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and make sure to check out the NASPO blog, pulse.naspo.org. Let's take the pulse. Why is it so important to teach public procurement? And why is it so important to have public procurement be offered at a collegiate level? That's an excellent question. A lot of people have asked me that. They say, hey, training, training is fine. Let's, let's, let's make great training programs. And I'm all for that. Training, certification, totally all for that. College level coursework and I'm not saying, I mean, there's good quality, bad quality, but sure. college level coursework is about the why. Training is how do you do it? What are the rules? How do I process this? How do I set this up? What do I do if there's a problem? Collegiate work is why. Why are we doing this? What, what, what does fair and open competition mean? Why is it even required? What do we care about it? Um, what what difference does it make that we have supplier relationships? What is all that about? And college level courses teach you, yes, they teach a lot of, you know, the how. I mean, they talk about data analysis and, and building spreadsheets and whatnot. But the fundamental part is thinking. The idea is that you give the student what we call constructs. You give them ways, systems, checklists. You give them ways to think about problems, to think about the way the world works, to think about how business works. Why do we, uh, why do we approach negotiations a certain way? Could we do it better? Well, mm-hmm. you got to know, you got to know the basics. It gets back to that. You got to know the foundations and foundations are not necessarily easily seen. Uh, you know, if, if you, if you didn't study history or read an article, you wouldn't necessarily know that procurement has its roots in thousands of years of history that fundamentally are still the same. You you, you have to rise to that systemic level. You have to think about, okay, there's a system here. There's a marketplace here. Well, what does that mean to me at my desk? Um, uh, now, to me, that's part, that's part and parcel of being a professional, Kevin. Right. You, you have to, to be a professional, you have to think that way. Now, professional credentialing is critical. The, the UPPCC program, the, which offers the certified public uh, buyer and, and officer certifications, is important. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to have a college degree to qualify for one. But you do have to have experience. And you do have to show enough education and training to show that you're serious about being a professional. 
Mm-hmm. And college coursework is part of that. And you don't have to, you don't even have to do a four-year degree to sample college, good college coursework. Um, you can take, like we have here at the community college, you can take classes without, you know, going into huge debt. You can take classes, you can audit, you can, you can take classes that are offered by a university for not for credit. Uh, and you can take four credit classes. Um, there are so many ways that you can gain some some college uh, level uh, discussion. And it's partly that. It's that that getting out of the, how do I do it at the desk in compliance with my state rules and regulations to, okay, let's talk about methodologies. Let's talk about why do we use requests for proposals? And why, what is the goal of a request for proposal? If you understand these things, then you can go back to the foundation and you're going to build it differently. If you look at a request for proposal as truly a way of determining the qualifications and the best value proposition out there, you're going to look at building that proposal differently than if you just look at it as an exercise, I got to get through this. Hopefully nobody protests. And somehow we get to contract without everything blowing up in my face because I got 15 other projects that are, that I've got to get to as well. Right. So that's why my, I have a strong belief, as you know, in education and personally have continued to invest in my own every time you get, and and this goes back to personal happiness. At some point you have to kind of decide what are you going to be? Where, what are you going to settle on and then invest in and build? And a specialty, public procurement is a specialty. Uh, a specialty can be very rewarding. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm in high demand mainly because I know something about a specialty area that not a lot of people know about. Uh, you know, uh, nothing wrong with being a generalist, but at some point you got to be a good something. What is Hone it? in. Laser yeah, in, you on, hone in. On. If you're going to be a good anything, be the best. I, I, you read this all the time. I mean, this, there's nothing new here. I'm just telling you from, from my time where I'm looking back over a 35-year career, if you don't decide to invest and be the best you can be, you're going to be bored. You're going to be unsatisfied. Sure. And there is a lot of truth in the old notion that if you do something you love, the money will come. You'll, you'll make enough to put bread on the table. Uh, nothing will will replace the the satisfaction of of going to bed peacefully and happy because you did your best at work, right. and then getting up and having some energy for facing the day, and and taking action uh, to move the dial or to move whatever it is that you're you're trying to do. How has procurement changed since you were a CPO? Well, uh, as I was kind of talking earlier, procurement in the last 20 years, you know, I mean, I've got 35 years of experience, but I would say, you know, if we look at recent times, the last 20 years, when I've been in leadership positions, truly leadership positions, uh, procurement has changed dramatically. Yeah. Methods the processes, and yet there are things that are still the same. Uh, you, you still have to record agreements. The, mm-hmm. the fundamentals of contracting, 
the agreement between two persons or two parties are still there. But what, what are you doing? What are you accomplishing? Things like traffic signals. You know, traffic signals would seem pretty simple. You know, you got lights, yellow, green, uh, right. red, you know, and, and they plug them up there. They hang them over the intersections and somebody flips them on and, and they work, don't they? Well, today, they are considered technology. Yeah. Traffic signals require servers. They require programming. They require tremendous knowledge yeah. in traffic flow, traffic An pattern. online network. Oh, I yeah. mean, it's a very complicated. So what is a seemingly simple commodity, now you add technology. A school building. When I worked for the school district, they built 10 new schools the time in the this was in the early 90s and they had a big bond measure and they built 10 new schools it was great today a school is simply technology wrapped in concrete or brick yeah. technology has changed everything and and it has changed the way we communicate it's made us go paperless or crave want to go paperless i think the pandemic yeah. has forced a lot of that back yes um where it didn't finally exist. So we've gone paperless. Technology is now embedded in nearly everything you do. Absolutely. Um, and, and then there is the movement from the technical movement from an invitation to bid, which is always the, okay, you pick the low bid from the responsive and responsible bidder. Right. And, and you make a contract and that price had better be firm and, and you go forward. Uh, now, a request for proposals, and and it's all about subjective values. Yeah. Hopefully, objective ways of measuring and, and trying to figure out how do we pick the best proposer? How do we pick the best company to bring value to the situation? Whatever it may be. Right. Um, if it's traffic signals, what kind of company do you want doing your traffic signals? And so as a procurement officer, as a purchasing agent, because that word agent, I think we don't use enough. Your job is to translate. Your job is to help that, that agency talk about mm -hmm. what, what is it? What's behind the surface? What is the need? How does this thing have to work? Uh, and, and get them to tell you. You know, get that agency group to, to talk about traffic signals. Well, how are they supposed to work? And, and, and how do you how does this all come together? And what are the what's the connectivity to other systems? Right. So you have to be you have to think bigger. I think systems thinking in at many levels. Sure. Becomes critical. You've got to look at totality. You've got to look at the context. And, and you've got to be a people person enough to pull that out of your agency customer because as a purchasing uh, or procurement officer, you don't know these things. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know how. How, how can signals, you? How yeah. can you? How yeah. could you know how traffic signals are supposed to, how they, that works? So you have to pull the story out. And that, I'll tell you, that is some of the most challenging work I've ever had was trying to get agency people to tell me the story tell me what it is what's really? the essence of the situation because sometimes they don't know they and and or they have an idea they that they think they should do mm -hmm. 
and to say, okay, let's get to the, let's get to the essence of that. Let's figure out, I know you've talked to some people, you have a sense of what brand you might like, but. But tell me the story. Yeah. And in public government, you can't, it's hard to just call out a brand. You know, you're always looking for how do we make this an even playing field? How do we encourage competition at the same time? We're looking for best value. Yeah. You know, you don't want to overpay and you certainly want to over receive. You want to get top value for for your dollar. It's no different than in your personal life, really. Uh, Same kind of thing. So, but you've got to engage the agency. And I think it's, I think it's more difficult. I remember the first training session that I attended or even helped with on specification writing was how to specify, how to spec a peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> is, that, is that what they, is that what they train you on? Buy a peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> and that was the first training class. Well, that was 35 years ago. Today, again, it's about how's it supposed to work? What's it supposed to do? And, and how, and, and can we rely on the supplier? Can we count on you? Are you going to be around? We need longer relationships. So when we talk about how things have changed, we've talked about it's much more strategic. And that call to become less tactical and more strategic, that's been out there now for decades. Right. And we keep saying it because strategy keeps evolving. Yeah. And today we're talking about uh, tremendous inter- interrelated systems. You're talking about a school, a school, for example, that that has technology and everything, and it's all connected. Yeah. Um, traffic management, uh, public safety. You know, a police car today. Uh, the the technology is phenomenal. Uh, yeah. The average person has no no idea how the much car technology admits its own Wi-Fi. Oh right? yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and the cars are equipped with so much technology. Um, it's a technology center, every single car. And, every, and so yeah. you got to deal with that. Now, the younger generation, they say, oh, well, the younger generation, they're all wired in, plugged in. Sorry. No, they're not. They, they are plugged into applications. They know how to, how to work with applications. But to, again, to step back and see the big picture. What is the big picture? Well, it's not a peanut butter sandwich anymore. Now it's, it's you know, managing critical intersections. Yes. Where if you don't have the traffic signal technology working, there are going to be car crashes and people are going to get hurt. Yeah. Um, it's a totally, I mean, the stakes are higher. Uh, the need for expertise is higher. You got to be credible with those agency customers. You've got to be credible with suppliers. Uh, and and you know, you got to be an agent. You have to work back and forth till you till you get it right. Um, and we're talking big money, big. Money. Oh yeah. You know, more the and average, more. Oh, the average uh, employment. We're talking like unemployment claims right now. There are a lot of states that are scrambling to upgrade their unemployment systems. You could be looking at fifty, hundred, hundred and fifty, two hundred million dollars, just on average for one system. So it's, it's tremendous money, right. tremendous stakes, tremendous risk. Yeah. What would you like to see happen in the, f- for the future of public procurement? Give me a 10, 20 years. Well, I think public procurement is one of those areas of work that's 
always going to be there. Of course. Government has to have people to go out to the marketplace, interact with the business world, and bring back the goods and services that government operations need. That's not going to change. It hasn't changed in thousands of years. Uh, they have found cuneiform tablets in, in, in the Babylon, you know, the ancient days where they had government workers who were ordering things, purchase orders, basically written on clay tablets that have survived for thousands of years. So we have to have, again, we have to have some context to go, procurement's not going away. The foundation, the fundamental function is not going away. It's how we go about it. How do we do it? And the marketplace, the public procurement officer works in a very special marketplace. It is not the Wall Street. It is a government, it is a different marketplace. And Absolutely. the marketplace will continue to have business people. It will continue to have government agencies with missions. And the procurement officer has got to put the right combinations together to meet the government needs. How are they going to do it? That's what's going to change. I think we've, we're seeing a little of this right now because we've had to truly shift from the office environment now to the uh, uh, to the internet environment. Yeah. I mean, we're talking we're talking right now by internet means. So we're going to have to continue to advance our technology and our skills at using technology to bring people together. Um, and I think there there are probably tools that we can't even think about yet that will enable us to bring people together because at the end of the day, you still have to have people come together sure. to talk about what it is that they're going to do. What are you buying? Who's bringing it? You know, how, how are we going to get this work done? Um, and you still have to have that. These foundation pieces are not going to change. But one of the biggest skills that every procurement person has got to have is the ability to communicate. And that means, and you have got to advance that. If you're, if, if you go on a Zoom call and you're shy and you don't want to show your face, get over it. <laughs> Just get over it because, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I don't particularly like seeing myself on camera, but you've got to get over it. You can't just be a black screen. Yeah. You've got to open up your, open up your face, open up your home, whatever, you know, if, wherever you are. And you have to be willing to say, this is it. I'm not in the office anymore, but this is it. I'm here. Let's talk. Let's get some work done together. Yes. Well, that kind of, you kind of already answered the last question I was going to ask you. Um, and I do, I do have one other question for you. Okay. Uh, you know, I don't know. I think it's okay to say. Uh, I don't know if a lot of our listeners know, but you are retiring at the yes. end of the year. And from NASPA only. I'm from, from NASPA only, yeah. Not from learning and not from being a part of. And and right. I'm I'm sure I won't I I hope that that's not the end of you. Um <laughs> what do you what do you plan to do in retirement? What do you uh, what's something you're looking forward to? I think that, you know, certainly the professional work when you again it gets back to relationship. When you've been doing this and you've invested in it. Uh, as I have, you have professional contacts, professional friends like yourself that, of course, I'll stay in touch. Uh, I've applied for, been accepted now uh, as an honorary member of NASPO. Congratulations. So uh, I'll proceed down that path. Um, I, uh, 
I'm looking forward to teaching, uh, to having more time to teach, uh, particularly locally. Um, I've been challenged by technology so many times, and now I teach online comfortably. Um, And so I'll keep doing that. And of course, you know, we talk about family and friends, but you don't realize uh, until, you know, I've been working basically two, three jobs probably most of my life to have time to to uh, invest in those relationships, you know, and, and, you know, professional career, there should be a work-life balance for my generation. Much of many of us, um, we probably didn't pay as much attention as we should have to that. And so the late nights, the weekends, um, working long hours and and all that takes its toll. So, yeah. So, you know, I want to do what I want to do, which is, (laughs) that's pretty much it. Right. Hang back with Hang your back. dogs. Yeah. Yeah. I got my out three dogs. Beautiful and my Oregon husband. Country. Back in the yeah, out in the beautiful Oregon country. Um, I certainly am not gonna sit on the porch because no, um, no. I I uh, I'm too interested in what's going on. Uh and too, you know, I get excited about the connections as we've talked and, and so no, I don't um I think in terms of NASPO work. Um, we have to start thinking about the next edition of our uh, flagship publication, the NASPO Procurement Guide. Yep. You know, there's there's all kinds of things. Uh, you know, you can you can you can find so many things to do if right. you're willing to. Step oh, I don't. Ex- I never expect you to sit on the porch, but I think it's funny that here we are asking you about retirement, and you want to talk about the the next edition of the the procurement <laughs> handbook. So I think that I think that says everything that we need to know about you. <laughs> Probably. Diane Lancaster, it was an honor to speak with you today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Kevin. It's It's been an honor to talk with you as well. Um, I appreciate the opportunity. And I look forward to, I hope, folks hearing this uh, podcast and uh, being emboldened. Hey, sample some more. Get into the blogs. Get into the podcast. Take the trainings. Um, enjoy. And thus concludes our three-part interview with NASPO's CLO, Diane Lancaster. Truly an amazing and accomplished professional. Diane, we're so happy to know you. It's been a career well-served so far, and I know that it is far from over. And that's really all I can say. She, I thought, did such a good job, I just really don't want to mess it up by adding any kind of dialogue on the back end. So, I won't, other than to say thank you for listening. We really hope you've got something out of these three interviews. There was a lot that we covered. The season finale of the NASPO Pulse podcast will air November 17th and feature our 2020 NASPO president and the chief procurement officer for the District of Columbia, George Shutter. You are not going to want to miss this one, Pulse Takers. Email me, podcast at naspo.org, with questions and comments. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Kevin Miner. Until next time. <laughs>